awesome. I know I always pray a little bit longer than probably most people, but, you know, when I go back and I listen to the podcast, it's funny, you know, there's something about these prayers, if you'll just kind of enter into them, that do really connect you with what's real. You know, it's so easy to live, just go through life and forget that we are one with God. And really, I really feel a huge part of my assignment on the planet is to come and really just destroy that illusion in people's lives and come and prune all of the ways that we operate thinking, deceived in the idea that we are somehow separate from God. Because there's a bunch of religious nonsense that comes with that idea. You know, the idea, uh, let me just throw out a couple, right? Um, Just guilt and condemnation. Okay, both of those concepts come from the idea that we are not one with God. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tall correction <laughs> that comes just from re-recognizing that we're one with God. And when you read the scripture through a lens of separation, it can actually condemn you because you read the, the scriptures and all you can see is a bunch of things that maybe you're not. You know, and it doesn't even necessarily make sense. You know, Romans 8, 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation for them that are in Christ. It's like we forget the in Christ piece. And so we don't, it doesn't make sense to us that we don't deserve punishment, that we don't deserve consequences for our mistakes and our missteps and even just the, you know, the crappy things that we do on a regular basis, you know. Seems like we should we should be punished for that, or we sh- there should be consequences for that, or we, there should be a judgment for that. But that thinking has got to, that that is a complete law based old covenant legalistic mindset that comes from the idea that you're separated from Christ. And there's a lot of religious nonsense out there as well that teaches us that somehow when we sin we get separated from God, that our sin separates us from Christ, that our sin is somehow. Um, a litmus test of whether we are in relationship with God or out of relationship with God. And this whole idea of even relating to sin actually is another separated idea. (laughs) Because sin consciousness is also not a part of our union with God. And that... so. So I, when I take a moment to pray, it's, it's really to reconnect you with this concept that you are literally one with God. Now, this is an invisible reality. You know, if you go and look in the mirror right now, you're not going to, with your physical eyes, see God staring back at you. But if you, if you have enlightened eyes, which, by the way, in Emerge, we work on this. <laughs> we actually do stand in front of a mirror using our spiritual eyes. We stand in front of a mirror a lot actually, a spiritual mirror, a lot in Emerge, because your reflection in the spirit is probably unrecognizable to you in the natural. And because we're so accustomed to relying on our physical senses and our intellect and our reasoning, it's really easy to get disconnected from the reality of Christ in you and you in Christ. And so one of the ways that I've really been teaching on Sunday nights, and I'm going to continue to on this series right now, uh, it is, it is a teaching that's really coming, coming after our thinking. And this idea that somehow we, we think independent from God as well. 
So instead of thinking with God, right, or even thinking as God, well, I know, that'll blow your mind. (laughs) But we have the mind of Christ. So if we have the mind of Christ and we're thinking with the mind of Christ, well, then you can extrapolate to the, this, to the idea that you're thinking as God. Now, that doesn't make you God apart from God. See, even that, that, well, I'm not God apart from God. You don't exist in the mind of God. Apart, there is no you apart from Christ in the mind of God. There is no you apart from Christ in the mind of God. Now, you are like, Shalise, okay, what? Well, let me just go into this one scripture that we've been jumping off on Sunday nights where uh, I'm basically teaching on thinking with God. I didn't call it thinking as God because I really thought that would freak you out. But thinking with God, operating with the mind of Christ. And so in Proverbs chapter 3, very familiar scripture, In verse 5, I'm reading it out of the Passion Translation because it's probably my favorite translation. And I can tell the reason it's my favorite is because there's union language in it and that it actually preaches the gospel from a union perspective, which is the whole point of the gospel, even though that's lost on most modern Western-focused Christian people. Okay, Proverbs 3. It says, Trust in the Lord completely. And do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you. And he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do. And he will lead you wherever you go. Now, I want to put this scripture in context with another one that I go to kind of a lot, but I'm not going to apologize for it. Sometimes it's not the quantity of Scripture. Not sometimes, always. It's not the quantity of Scripture we know or that we can memorize or that we can recite. It's the revelation that we have that actually transforms us. It's the truth that we, not that we know intellectually, but the truth that we've become intimate, that we've assimilated into our being into our subconscious mind that actually makes a difference in our life. And so I'm going to go to John chapter 5, verse 30, and I, I'm going to read it in the voice translation because this scripture really kind of, I don't know, it freaks me out a little bit. And this is Jesus talking. So Jesus said this. He said, I have never acted and will not in the future act on my own. I listen to the directions of the one who sent me and act on these divine instructions. For this reason, my judgment is always fair and never self-serving. I'm committed to pursuing God's agenda and not my own. I want to hone in on this one little phrase in this scripture that it talks about his judgment. Uh, A lot of times when we think of, like, Jesus' judgment, you know, we think of, like, the 70s scary wrath movies, right, of Jesus coming back and annihilating the world. But that's not really the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about. Matter of fact, I could go and teach a bunch on this if we went over to John chapter 3, and we talked about, he talked about, you know, that he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But I'm not teaching on that kind of a judgment tonight. 
this judgment that I'm talking about here with Jesus is, I, I would say it another way, as I would say, my opinion. My opinion is always fair and not self-serving. I'm committed to pursuing God's agenda and not my own. Now, let me read it to you in another translation just because I think it'll maybe help a little bit. Okay, this is in the New King James Version. It says, I can of my own self, or I can myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And so I'm reading this scripture in the context of Proverbs chapter 3, Because Proverbs 3 is saying, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding, it says in one translation. This one, it says, don't, don't, let me do it so I can quote it right. It says, don't rely on your own opinions. And so these scriptures are really talking about judgment. And they're talking really about our judgment. And it's our judgment apart from God. It's forming opinions apart from God. And the whole concept of doing that, the whole reason that the human race does this, and oh, by the way, we're constantly forming opinions. We're constantly judging. It's like we have this little inner voice inside of our head that is constantly evaluating. Is that right? Is that true? Is that wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this, you know, it's a constant little judgment, little judger that's in there constantly thinking and judging and thinking and judging and thinking and judging. And that thinker that's in there, uh, by the way, is a result of the fall. That thinking that's independent from God, that judger that's in, in your head apart from God, that has the, even the ability to form an opinion apart from God, entered as a result of the fall. Because there were two trees in the garden, if you'll remember. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was a tree of life. And, uh, you know, being your own judge, another way of saying that is being your own God, right? And forming your own opinion and forming your own judgments apart from God is, in fact, the pride of life. It is, in fact, the root, if you will, of sin. It truly is independence from God. And if you think about the temptation that the enemy came with to Adam, well, really came with to Eve, right? And he he said, you know, first of all, he calls God a liar and says, if you eat of this tree, you're not going to die. Actually, what's going to happen? And then 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 he slanders God and makes God out to be a guy that's holding back from Adam and Eve. He says, God knows that if you eat of this, you'll be like him. And so, you know, then Eve started to exercise independent judgment and independent thinking, right? With her, with her, with her senses, she began to look at the tree and saw that it was good for food, right? And so anyway, then she ate of it and it says their eyes were both opened. Now, it's interesting that they, that we, they use the word eyes, in Genesis, because it really was affected way more than just like their eyes. I mean, it, it was really about an understanding. It was really about a way of perceiving things. It was really about a way of, uh, of processing information and awareness of the world around them. It was, a, it was like a, 
a shift in what, what reality, how, to, how reality was presented to them, right? In an instant, they became self-conscious. And in an instant, they were aware of their nakedness. And in an instant, they became afraid. So fear entered the picture. And then they hid themselves, it says, if you go back and read the story, from the presence of God. So let's say it a different way. They separated. They separated from God. Now, prior to this, I mean, you know, Adam and they were walking in the cool of the garden with God. They were, Adam was partnering with God to name the animals. I mean, where did he get all that information from? How did he know? How did he have the wisdom just to name the animals? I, I, I think it was so second nature. I mean, it was just they were operating as one. In the Bible, it kind of, what happens is, is it starts to talk about man's wisdom and God's wisdom. So there starts to be this, this separation between two kinds of wisdom. Uh, and it talks about the wisdom that's from above in James, right? It's the God's wisdom. And, and even in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about, you know, the, these two kinds of wisdom now. It's wisdom apart from God. And even in chapter 1, let me just read that because that's pretty powerful. And then God's wisdom. Let me read what it says this, and I'll read this in the Passion Translation. Um, um, It says this. Verse 20, chapter 1. So where is the wise philosopher who understands? Where is the expert scholar who comprehends? Where is the skilled debater of our time who could win a debate with God? Hasn't God demonstrated that the wisdom of this world system is utter foolishness? For in his wisdom, God designed that all the world's wisdom would be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. He took great delight in baffling the wisdom of this world by using the simplicity of preaching the story of the cross in order to save those who believe it. For the Jews constantly demanded to see miraculous signs, while those who are not Jews constantly cling to the world's wisdom. But we preach the crucified Messiah. The Jews stumble over him, and the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. But for those who have chosen to follow him, both Jews and Greeks, he's God's mighty power, God's true wisdom, and our Messiah. For the foolish things of God have proven to be wiser than human wisdom, and the feeble things of God have proven to be far more powerful than any human ability. And then it goes down here, and it says this, Brothers and sisters, consider, verse 26, who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards, nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call. But God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes, nobodies, so that he could shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent, so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God. As we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one, and now he is our God-given wisdom, 
our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption, and fulfills what is written. If anyone boasts, let him only boast in all that the Lord has done. So I read a lot there, but it's just going to kind of this compare and contrast between human wisdom and the wisdom of men and the, the wisdom of God, the opinion of God, right? Now, I want to kind of go back here and talk about thinking with God, independent thinking and thinking with God. Now, if we're going to think with God, it goes without saying that the very first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to recognize that we're actually one with God. Right? And so I always kind of challenge people and say, how, how often are you aware of your union with God? How often, and this is an interesting thing, but how often even when you sit down to journal or you sit down to pray, are you praying from a place of being one with God? Or are you praying, a lot of times I find that people are praying to actually try to find God. Right? And, you know, I talk to people, you know, every day, all week long, potential people that are interviewing for Emerge, and there's an epidemic, really, in the body of Christ of people that struggle to hear God's voice. I mean, it, it is truly an epidemic. And I think part of the reason why people really have trouble connecting with God, much less thinking with God, right, if you can't, you can't think with God if you can't hear God and you can't connect with God. And I think one of the primary reasons that people have such a hard time hearing God is because from a, they operate at, on their day to, in their day-to-day life with this default belief that they are separated from God. Okay? And that they struggle then, of course, with condemnation and guilt and feeling worthy and focused on their sin. Right? And, and feel separated from God. So therefore, I feel separated from God. So therefore, I must be separated from God. Like somehow you feeling guilty or you feeling condemned or, you, you know, that somehow that makes it true. Like we need, like we're, the truth is, is, is discerned by our feelings. No, let me tell you what your feelings do. Your feelings tell you what you believe. Now, what you believe is operate. I mean, it's controlling your life like it's true, but it doesn't mean it's true. But if you really will connect to whatever you're feeling at any good given time and give yourself in your heart permission to, like, bring up the thought behind what you're feeling, your feelings tell you what you think is true. Your feelings are an indication of what you believe, I mean, that's a really powerful truth that I'm giving you right there. (laughs) And so, but just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true. So what happens with most people's relationship with God is that we, we, it's like a roller coaster. We feel close to God. We feel far from God. We feel close to God. We feel far from God. And it's all predicated on our performance. It's all predicated on whether we had a good Christian day or we had a bad Christian day. Whether we did the right things, we thought the right thoughts, we said the right things, and we were, you know, operated in the fruit of the Spirit. We were patient, we were kind, we were loving, we were giving, we were gentle, we we did all these things. Again, completely independent from God somehow, right? Like, I'm supposed to be good apart from God. 
which is the whole reason Jesus came, is that there is no good apart from God. Even he said, there is no one good but God. Why call me good? Even Jesus said, why call me good? There is only one good. Meaning that even as the son of God, Jesus did not claim righteousness in and of himself. He said, the father and I are one. I mean, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he fully identified with the father. He didn't operate independent. I mean, he did refer to himself as the son of man and the son of God. I mean, he had a, he recognized that he had a human birth, which was the son of man, which gave him authority. The son of man had authority because he was human. But he didn't identify his deity-ness or whatever you'd call that as the son of man, right? And so let me go back to this. So this roller coaster ride we have, I'm close to God, I'm far from God, I'm close to God, I'm far from God, I'm good, I'm bad, all of that, that is completely what Jesus came to annihilate for you. I mean, that is the freedom. I mean, Jesus actually came to set you free, can I say it this way, from yourself, He literally came to set you free from yourself and even having to relate with yourself in some kind of performance-based relationship that is freaking exhausting. It is exhausting. I'm a good boy. I'm a bad boy. I'm a good girl. I'm a bad girl. I'm an idiot. Oh, I'm brilliant. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it is really exhausting. And no, you can't make up your mind because, you know... I think the only way you could probably have a good relationship with yourself in that system is to, like, go somewhere in an isolation tank and just float for the rest of your life. But even then, you probably couldn't control your thoughts, and so your thoughts would make you bad. So they'd really just, you just need to go into a coma. And even then, maybe you still think in a coma. I've never been in a coma. I don't know. They say you can hear people in a coma, so maybe you can think. Maybe you can do something wrong in a coma. So maybe that's not even good enough. Maybe you just need to be brain dead. And then you can actually give yourself permission to have a good relationship, a consistent relationship with God, and a consistent and good relationship with yourself. Right? But the cross totally crucified your relationship to good and evil. It crucified this relationship to the, to the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. I, I like some people saying that that's why Jesus got crucified on a tree, because it was that tree. <laughs> and, you know, but, it, but knowing this and saying all of this, that's great here, on, you know, as you're listening to the podcast or listening to the message, but, like, how do you actually live this out? When I can't even hear God, Shalise, I'm just, I'm, you know, and sometimes when I'm on these interviews with people, I mean, it's, it's, you recognize that there's multiple issues going on. One is that the theology is just total crap. And I'm just calling it that because, number one, you're listening to me on a podcast. So if you get offended with me, I'm not even going to know it. Unless you email me or something, which you probably aren't going to take the time to do if you're offended. So, but, but you know, and I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm angry with the people. It's, it, but we've been taught this in church. I mean, most of these people aren't brand new Christians. Actually, I get excited if I get a brand new one. Because then you don't have to undo all of this nonsense that has been programmed into us. How do I know? Because I grew up Baptist. You know, I gave up trying to be good in ninth grade. I didn't know that that was what I was doing at the time. 
It wasn't until years later in my 30s after I'd pretty much destroyed my life and been in all kinds of crazy that the Lord kind of showed me that I'd actually made a vow when I was in ninth grade that I was done trying to be a good girl because obviously no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't be good enough. And so that, that religious standard that we hold ourselves to of being good and being good enough to love ourselves, being good enough to, lo- to be loved by God, being good enough to deserve whatever it is we're trying to, th- that we don't think we don't deserve. You know, and, and in the kingdom, we're on a system that isn't about deserving anything. In the kingdom, we're on a system that's about receiving everything. And it's this beauty, beautiful thing I mean, that's where worship comes from. <laughs> worship comes from this place of recognizing I could never deserve this. This is not based on me. This, what, what, how could I ever have done anything to be an heir, a joint heir with Jesus? Like, what, what did I, what did I do? I did, what could I do? And truthfully, the, the true, a true heart of humility is releasing the idea that you're independent. True humility is identifying with Christ. It's not self-depreciation. It's it's not considering yourself. It's it's not considering yourself apart from Christ at all. It's literally ceasing to exist apart from Christ. I'm telling you, this place is is a total place of freedom. And it's a place where you no longer have to have the the answers. (laughs) I mean, think about that. What kind of freedom is that, that I don't actually have to have the answer? You know, true dependency is like a little kid. It's truthfully following the leader. And so many, so many of us struggle so much in our minds. And I just truly believe the Lord is wanting to set us free. He's wanting to set us free from that torment. That torment of um, understanding apart from him. You know, for me, it's really pretty practical in the sense that, um, well, let me just say it this way first before I go there. It's hard to understand your own self. Can, can I just say that? You know, I mean, I, I get the opportunity to help people, you know, I, it's a, you know, a school of transformation. What does that mean? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I, I've, I believe that I'm called to this business of mind renewal, that I help people renew their minds so that they can be transformed, or so I'd say it this way, so that they can be transfigured. That's a better translation of that word in Romans 12 too, that we are transfigured as we renew our mind. It means that what's already true, what is already real about us, as we renew our mind and we get in agreement and we realize what the cross actually accomplished and we, we realize what Jesus finished for us, that as we renew our mind to that, it actually gets displayed through us. 
That when we get in agreement with what Jesus has done is when we experience it, right? And so, but because I get to, I get to kind of focus in on this work with people, you know, I get to work through all kinds of situations on a weekly basis where I'm helping people transform their thoughts. And most of the time, I'm really not doing the work. I'm helping them connect with God. I'm helping them connect with God so they can get the mind of Christ about whatever it is that they're thinking. And a lot of times, I mean, the torment really comes from thinking from apart from God, not having God's perspective on it. I mean, let's talk about the experiences that we have in life for a moment, just, just to tell you how unqualified we are even to judge. You know, I mean, our perception is so limited. I mean, there are frequencies going through the, this room right now. There's radio signals going through, through this room right now. There are sounds that are happening in this room right now that if, you know, my dog could hear that we wouldn't be able to hear, meaning our physical senses are just actually limited. You know, if we, if we had a dolphin, they could communicate with sonar. You know, if somehow we were in the ocean right now, we could, they talk with sonar, right? I mean, um, dogs hear at a whole, totally, bats, right? Sonar. I mean, so there's, there's a whole other world of perception out there that we just, we physically cannot perceive, right? That's not even counting the unseen realm and the idea that there are spiritual influences. There are atmospheres. What does that mean, Shalise? There are spiritual dynamics going on in the atmosphere. I'm extremely personally sensitive to this, and I can sense atmosphere shifts. I can sense when people are carrying something. Strife is very discernible, especially if you get, uh, if you, if you grow in your sensitivity to that. You can walk, you can be around someone that's either got an inner conflict or a conflict going on with someone else. You, they can, they can shift the whole atmosphere of a room. Right? And so there's spiritual atmospheres. There's, there's angels. Tonight when, when Kara was worshiping, she's like, can you not hear the harmonies that the angels are singing? You know, and, and you could think, oh, well, that's just silly. No, you, I can't hear the harmonies of the angels. You know, I'm just a human. I can't hear that, right? But let me say this. In the beginning, before the fall, we had an entirely different scope of perception. And really, maturity, growing up in Christ is learning to actually use your spiritual senses again so that you're not just trapped in your physical body with your physical senses, in your human intellect, you know, operating through reasoning rather than revelation and discernment. There is a whole other way of operating for the believer. And so, but the point is, if, if, you're, if you're shut off to all that stuff, I call it being asleep, right? So you, you're not hearing God, you're not operating with your spiritual eyes and your spiritual senses. Well, let me, just make, let me just make sure that you know you're not in a place to judge. Okay, then let's enter other people. Like somehow we're constantly judging other people. Like we know their heart, we know what's motivated them, we know their story, we know why they did what they did. I remember one time... I was, you know, just forgiving someone from my childhood. And, you know, I was kind of in this place where it was like, well, I, you know, I couldn't blame them. I had to forgive them, you know, and I wanted to blame them. And God was like, is that really the right person to blame? 
Or, or should you blame their parents that actually programmed them with some of those ways of being and the trauma that they experienced as a child that broke them and caused some of these addictions and things in their lives that caused them to hurt other people? So do you blame the person or do you blame the person that ultimately broke that person? Well, then what? Well, there was a person before that person that broke that person. So how far do you, like, do you go back to that person? Is it six generations? Is it eight generations? Like, how far do you go back? Well, I guess you go back all the way to Adam, but then what? What do you go back? Go back to the devil? Like, where, where's the blame? Like, I gotta blame somebody already. And Jesus told me this. He said, blame me. And I was like so confused. I'm like, what do you mean, blame you? He said, I absorbed all blame in my body on the cross. It's all my fault. Now, if that doesn't mess with your head and, and, and somehow make you like get off the judgment throne, like I kind of got to a place where I was kind of afraid of that seat. Like I don't want to sit in the judge, judge seat anymore. <laughs> like number one, I'm unqualified. Just in my humanity, I'm unqualified. Right? But then I'm not even sure where to go. Like how far do I have to go back? Like who's really to blame? Who, who do I judge? And you know, in most things, we're all, we're always playing victim and victor. You know, you're to blame. I'm to blame. I'm the victim. No, you're the victim. We're victims. Everybody's fighting to be the victim. You know, and the truth is, it's like another thing that Jesus came to just just set everybody at the same level. <laughs> you know, all in need of a savior, all in need of a deliverer, all in need of a completely new way of being. Everybody needed to just be recreated. Just got to redo it. Now, of course, everyone's in this different place of recognizing what is true and recognizing what is real and understanding the gospel and living this out. So, you know, it's another reason to have grace and not judge everybody. Right? Paul said it this way. He said, if... I am what I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God. And it's really easy, I think, even especially for Christians, to somehow we get a little bit of truth and now we get out our judgment stick. And then we got to beat everybody else up over the head because they don't know what we don't know. You know? And then, you know, it's so silly. You know, we even got to separate from them. Separate. Come out from among them. Right? Come out from among them. Because they might, you know, they might get you dirty. You know, when the only reason you even know that you're, you're not dirty is by the grace of God. And I checked, last time I checked, Jesus was hanging out with the ones that were dirty. He didn't come out from among them. He went in, you know, Wash the feet of them. So I'm going to get back on my topic here. So, you know, I think the first part of this is really just about recognizing just how much, you know, we can 
live out of this place of being separated from God. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I, I really like this. I like this in the Passion Translation. It says this, my brother, this is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, my brothers and sisters, when I first came to proclaim to you the secrets of God, I refused to come as an expert, trying to impress you with my eloquent speech and lofty wisdom. It says, for while I was with you, I was determined to be consumed with one topic, Jesus, the crucified Messiah. I stood before you feeling inadequate, filled with reverence for God, and trembling under the sense of the importance of my words. The message I preached and how I preached it was not an attempt to sway you with persuasive arguments, but to prove to you almighty power, the almighty power of God's Holy Spirit. He said, For God intended that your faith not be established on man's wisdom, but by trusting in his almighty power. You know, Truthfully, I've learned one of the major ways that I've learned to be dependent upon God is by getting up every week, week after week, week after week, week after week, and putting a microphone in my hand and not knowing what the heck I'm talking about. You're like, Shalise, you're talking this entire time. You're teaching this entire time. We're listening to you because you're the expert. We're listening to you because you've been walking with God for 18 years and you, you've you know, you haven't given up and you're doing these things that obviously you couldn't do in your own strength. So you've got, you've got to be, there's got to be something that you've got. And I'm telling you, the more I walk with God, the more I realize the only thing I've got. And that's an identity and a dependence upon God. And so it's super great that I get up every week and that I just basically just kind of sit up here and be like, okay, Holy Spirit, use me, go speak what you want to speak. You know, a couple of things I'll tell people that I, that I think are great, great, great ways to learn how to be dependent upon God. It's also like a kind of fleeting experience that we actually have to take from the place where we're doing it and kind of implement it in the rest of our life. Um, I'm going to go back to the people that aren't hearing God clearly because I just felt the Holy Spirit just say, don't leave that out there on a, you know, forget about that. But for a minute, I want to go here where, you know, just training people to, to prophesy to others, just training people to get a word from God for people, training up prophetic teams. You know, I mean, I've been doing that for, you know, almost two decades now. And you know, I've trained people that are like, I can't even hear God for myself. I can't prophesy to someone else. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I'm like, well, as soon as you sit in that chair right there and I put this person in front of you and say, I'd like you to hear God for that person, you actually will hear God. It's going to maybe be a single word. It may be an imagination that you get, but you can do it because God says you can do it. Right? And then, you know, as you train the teams to do that and they begin to prophesy over people, the thing about prophecy is, is that you're totally dependent upon God. Like some, in some way, you've tuned in to the realm of the spirit and now you are, you're connected to the mind of God for someone else. And so you were just, you know, and it's amazing, amazing to, to, to receive prophetic ministry. It's amazing to do prophetic ministry, but it's an, it's, what's most amazing about it is that it's a place where we learn to be totally dependent. 
You know, another place that I tell people is another great place to practice total dependence is in the prayer sessions that we do. They're called Rethink Rapid Mind Renewal Sessions. And in those two hours that you're in that chair with one of our facilitators, you are 100% dependent upon God. Meaning you are hearing God and you're not interpreting anything apart from the mind of God. And I tell people, all of life works when you live in that place. When you live in that place of prophetic ministry or you live in that place of being in these prayer sessions where you're completely dependent upon God. So what about the people that don't hear God at all? Like, how do I not rely on my own opinion, Shalise, if I can't even hear God? You know, one of the sad things that I deal with on a regular basis is people that, that it's funny, they can't hear God. You know, it's like in my school is all about making sure that you can hear God. Like, this teaches you totally to hear God. Like, great, like you are encountering God like crazy in a merch. But because they can't hear God about whether to do the school, they end up not doing the school. Here the school, you know, solves the problem that you've got, and you're waiting on to hear God, which, yeah. Am I making sense with that, like, kind of catch-22 there? And so I tell people, Living a life where you aren't hearing God is a, is a futile existence. Hearing God seriously is the, I mean, I could just say it this way. It's like the funnest adventure. You know, I just, when I sit out on my back porch in the morning and drink some coffee, and God just opens up the realm of heaven so that I can just see the unseen realm, just going all around. I mean, I literally live in heaven. You live in heaven. I don't care if you're living in Colorado. I don't care if you're living, you know, in the desert of South, to whatever, south of wherever the desert is, right? The truth is, wherever you live, heaven is also there too. Heaven is a complete, it's just a dimension. And how cool is it to think that I just sit, sit, drink my coffee and experience heaven? What's in heaven? There's all kinds of crazy stuff is in heaven. Giant flowers and creatures and, I mean, all kinds of things. Sounds and... It's an adventure when you hear God. It's an adventure when you live with God. And, and I'll say this, you can endure anything when you hear God. You can go through any battle. You can go through any attack when you hear God. I mean, matter, it doesn't even have to be sad. The Apostle Paul wrote Philippians from prison, and I think he was just so drunk in the spirit I think he was out of his mind. He's like, rejoice! <laughs> you know, and he's like in prison. I remember, I've entered into that realm. You know, I was a person, I had serial miscarriages, and God had told me, no, you're the joyful mother of children, and you keep house, and I had this promise. And then I remember the very last miscarriage I had. It was such a joke to me. I was so fully persuaded that I was a mother I was just thinking about what a grand time I was going to have in heaven with my kids. And I was laughing and I was, and I literally thought, oh, this is what Paul felt. Paul felt this right here. 
in prison. I mean, it was just a glimpse for me. It was like a day or two. But, but there is a place when you are experiencing God and hearing God, it's a total another, it's a whole other world that you're living in. You are kind of a little nutso. You are a little crazy. That's why they call Paul a madman. Because the world has no power over you. Circumstances has no power over you. What, depression? Over what? Some, some temporal little whatever that means nothing in the big scheme of things? When you have tasted heaven, when you have gotten out, up outside of time, I mean, I remember when my mother died of pancreatic cancer. I did not grieve normal. I, I just, even when my dog died, I, did, I grieved for like half a day. I loved that dog. I thought I was just going to just totally go into the abyss when the dog died. And you know what happened? I don't, I'm just telling it. Who cares? Jesus showed up at my house with Riley, the dog, spirit Riley. And he told me he could stay as long as I needed him to. Like, I know it's nuts. I know that's nuts. But guess what? All grief left in an instant. Maybe I petted an invisible dog for a week. Maybe I didn't. I'm not saying. But the point is, there is a realm that exists that when you tap into it and when you are living in that realm, normal life does not have to, you don't have to exist in normal life like everyone else. And honestly, to tap into this, you do need to lose your mind a little bit. You need to quit being so serious already. Quit being so like it's got to be all holy and, 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 I mean, it's literally like being a kid. It's literally closing your eyes and using your imagination. Yes, yes, Jesus and Riley showing up to my house was in my imagination. It could, I could have totally just said, this is make-believe, this isn't real. But I have been walking in this world for, for long enough to know, first of all, I wasn't thinking of it when they showed up. I was just hanging out on my front porch feeling sad. I was, and, and it was awesome. Riley didn't have any little gray hair or anything. He was like sharp, looking good, right? I told people I'd let him sleep on my bed that night, which I think that was a, was part of the whole plan because I don't think it would have been doggy heaven if he hadn't got to sleep on my bed. He didn't get to sleep on the bed when he was alive. So I'm thinking his first night in heaven, he was like, I want to sleep on the bed. That's what I want to do in heaven. And somehow Jesus worked that out. So I'm not even sure if it was for me or for Riley, but hey, it worked out for both of us, right? Now, I know this is a little crazy preaching, but the whole point that we started with was don't rely on your own opinion. So truthfully, I don't really care about your opinion about me and Riley. Because the truth of the matter is you're told not to have one in the first place. You're told not to judge me in the first place. So, wow, what would the body of Christ actually be like in the world if we let go of this idea? But Shalise, it's my job to speak the truth in love. Well, why don't you ask the person how that felt when you spoke it? Ask them how loved they felt after you shared that truth. Because I'll tell you, those Christians speaking truth to me was one of the reasons I didn't go to church for almost 25 years. You know, somehow when Jesus did it, it didn't feel that way. 
You know, when Jesus spoke truth to me, let me talk to you about how he would speak to me when I was in the worst of sin. The worst of sin. I mean, the wor- I mean, like, you know, the kind that you don't tell anybody about. You don't tell a soul about it. Yeah, I've, I've been there, done that more, count, more times than we could both count. And I can count pretty high. You know, but Jesus would show up and he wouldn't be like speaking the truth, quote unquote, in love to me. You know what the truth in love that Jesus spoke to me was? You're a princess. You are the daughter of a king. You are worth every ounce of my blood. I would do it all again for you. How about you stand up and let's agree about who you are. The way you think about yourself, the way that others think about you, nonsense. The only problem you've got is you don't know who you are. That's how Jesus spoke truth and love to me. I remember one time, oh my gosh, I was in the bathroom just on my knees, just bawling. And I remember God, he just came to me and and it was that scripture. I didn't even know that much scripture. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. You know, the sin in people's lives is God's business. And only God's business. So, your opinion, your religious opinion, guess what? You can keep it to yourself. Now, ha, ah, that was a hello. But you know, it's, it's funny when you, here's the thing that the religious spirit also does, is it always justifies itself. Um, and I always wonder, you know, when Jesus said, he's like, if you really want to get the splinter out of your brother's eye, then you really got to deal with the log in your own. And so I just wonder, I wonder how, I think that log blinds people. I think that log is, is stuck in their eye to the point that it blinds them to their own issue. And somehow has set them up in, in some deception that somehow they've got it, you know, they're good. <laughs> that makes me laugh. <sighs> oh, I remember one time I asked this guy. Oh, I hope he's not listening. I asked this guy one time, he came to the, one of my meetings, and I was like, okay, well, how can I pray for you? And he's like, oh, I don't need prayer, I'm good. <laughs> I just was like, well, maybe you could pray for me then. <laughs> I got a few things that maybe you could help me with. You know, I was like, I had never in my life, you know, and I mean, serious, like, I'm all good. I'm all good. God, me and God, we're good. I'm like, wow, okay. So, anyway, I'm a little honorary tonight, but that's okay. Amen, that's okay, because I know you, those of you listen to me are ready for it. But here's the thing. Getting delivered from yourself is the best 
It's the best thing that'll ever happen to you. Oh, it'll just be the best thing that's ever happened to you. I mean, just to not have to be so self-absorbed and and you're like, Shalise, I don't know how to do this. Well, of course you don't know how to do it. That's why it's called deliverance. You can't get depend you can't get delivered from your own opinions, figuring out how to do it. You can't get, let me say it this way, you can't get delivered from thinking independent from God, thinking independent from God. Oh my gosh. Like, right? I gotta figure out how to think with God. No, 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 no. You just literally go to that place of yielding. You go to that place of like, here's what you say. I don't know what to think. God, what do you think? One of my favorite, Holy Spirit's funny. I remember one of my favorite encounters with the Holy Spirit. I think I told, I forget where I told it. Maybe I told it last week, but I'm going to tell it again. And I was, I was climbing up this mountain. I was in prayer one day. I was sitting in my, my chair in my bedroom. And I was just, you know, kind of asking the Lord, what do you want me to see or whatever? That's kind of how I pray. What do you want me to see? What do you want to tell me? What do you want me to say? That kind of thing. And, and he showed me, I was like walking up this mountain. And it reminded me kind of like a Moses mountain. Like I had on like some Moses sandals. Whatever those look, it just seemed like, you know, Bible sandals. And I was walking up the mountain with my Bible sandals. And I was going around this like curvy path. And then all of a sudden the head sitting on a rock so it was Holy Spirit. And it was a really cool because Holy Spirit looked kind of like a combination between like water like you could see through him, but you could kind of see him. Or he looked like those fumes at the gas station that you kind of, when you fill up your gas tank, you can kind of see the see-through, but you can see through fumes, but you can see him. So it was, it was a man, like a water and fumes man. And he was sitting on this rock with his finger on his chin, like his hand on his chin, like that statue thinking man. And so he was like this, you know, Holy Spirit thinking man. And literally he looked over at me like out of the corner of his eye and he's like, Hey, ask me what I'm thinking. You know, he was thinking, man, ask me what I'm thinking. And I was like, well, what are you thinking? You know, and it was interesting when he, when he said, what are you thinking? You know what? God's usually not thinking about what we're thinking about. He reminded me of a dream. That honestly, me just telling the testimony about it, I totally kind of forgot about the dream. It's probably not a coincidence that I'm remembering it tonight. But in this dream, I had a dream, and in the dream, Bob Jones was in the dream. And we were sitting at a kitchen table in like a 1970s kitchen. One of those kind of tables, Formica tables or whatever, with the silver around the edge. I don't know if you remember those tables from the 70s, but we had one. But I was in a kitchen, and there was this wine bottle up on the refrigerator. And it was one of those kind of, kind of, old Italian looking ones that have the straw around it. You know, those old kind of old timey wine bottle things. And so Bob goes and gets the, the wine bottle and he brings it down and he sets it on the table. And he says, this is the wine bottle I drink out of to communicate with angels and go to heaven all the time. And I was like, Oh, awesome. He's like, pushes it across the table and he says, thanks for letting me borrow it. Right? Everybody in here was like, wow. I was like, exactly wow. Wow. Now, why am I sharing that? This is, I'm teaching tonight 
in case you forgot, because I got on so many tangents, on thinking with God, not leaning on your own on your own understanding. And the point is, here I'm going into prayer. All I said was, hey, God, what do you want me to see? Hey, God, what do you want me to say? Hey, God, what's on your mind, right? Next thing you know, I'm climbing up a mountain with thinking man, Holy Spirit. Thinking man, Holy Spirit says, Shalise, what do you want? Ask me what I'm thinking. And the next thing you know, I'm back in a dream I forgot I had where Bob Jones has given me his wine bottle that he uses to have all these encounters with God, and apparently he got it from me. I didn't even know I had a wine bottle, much less that Bob Jones borrowed it. Like, what's the point of that? God is thinking things that are so at a whole nother level. He's just not thinking on our level. And so if we're not asking him what he's thinking, then we're just going to get stuck down in this like, I don't even, maybe I was just thinking about how I was going to pay my electric bill or something. I mean, maybe that's what I was, who knows what I was praying about. Like, how am I going to pay a bill? Or I'm worried about my husband's job. Or, I mean, not that God doesn't care about these details of our lives. Of course he does. Of course he cares about those details. But here, he's thinking, what? I mean, just at a whole, and I still to this day have not connected all the pieces. I'm sure he's bringing up that dream tonight as a reminder to me, as an invitation to me. Why don't you go ahead and continue on with that conversation? Because now I'm getting a sense that that dream is a, a whole story. Like there's a whole story about Bob Jones's wine bottle that was actually my wine bottle that I just never took the time to listen to because I'm too busy forming my own opinions and my own thoughts and thinking at a place and in a way under the delusion that I'm independent, under the delusion that I'm separated from God. Or like most of us or a lot of us, I'm all sin conscious and thinking about what I did wrong and what I need forgiveness for and or maybe I'm judging other people, and so I need to be spending all my time forgiving them because they somehow offended me. And I mean, you know, it's like, wow, there's a whole other world that, that the Apostle Paul lived from, that, that we can live from, where it's just like, we're just free. We're just free. We're free. And so a lot of the time that I spend now is really like, what do I think? I practice going sitting on my back porch, drinking my coffee, sitting in heaven. Looking out there, I mean, it's just a field. It's, it's a normal field. But it's not just a normal field. There's nothing about it that's normal. But how do, you, how do we live from that place of being awake? Well, we, we, we do it. I mean, we need grace. Gosh, we need grace because it's just easy. It's easy to wake up and just, you know, not... We wake up, but not wake up. <laughs> it's easy to wake up and not wake up, right? And I, it's one of the reasons why I go sit on my back porch with my coffee. It's because I say, that, hey, that's not, a, that's not a coincidence that I do that because I'm back there to wake up. That's my wake-up ritual. And it's not just drinking my coffee, which brings me to a whole other part of this, you know, which was another encounter that I had that was really interesting about this. And it was, I actually was ordaining someone and I ended up on the floor. They ended up on the floor. I ended up on the floor. We both were on the floor. 
for a while, actually. Thank goodness we had people that knew how to run a meeting and I could just be on the floor. But during this encounter, there were glasses all over. And they didn't look like this. I mean, this is their glasses. They looked like, they looked like a sci-fi glass. They were white glasses with silver inside and they had water inside and it looked like slow-mo water. Like, ever see those wave machines in the 70s? I don't know what the thing is with the 70s today, but there was this water that was slow-mo. And as I was on the floor, the angels just kept having me drink these glasses, and they were covering all the tables, all the floors. If there was a surface, these glasses were there. And I'm telling you, I was just, I could not get up. I wouldn't be surprised if I was drooling on myself. I was just totally out of it. Finally, I don't even know how long it was, finally I came to, and I saw all the glasses around, and I, I remember just telling the testimony about what happened. And somebody that was in the audience actually just took the glass just by faith. They just were like, oh, I'm going to take a glass. And they drank it. It dissolved their gum. Literally, in their mouth, bloop, dissolved their gum. So this idea that there's this, and why am I sharing that? I'm not sharing, I'll share a scripture that the Holy Spirit gave me about that later in just a minute. But the point is that, the, that is that realm, it seems imaginary. It seems like, oh, I'm just making this up in my imagination. I mean, this wasn't, it, it, it wasn't so spectacular in my mind. Or I mean, yes, I was, you know, I couldn't really get up. I was under the presence of God. But, I mean, you could talk yourself out of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is I, I could have, because it is a, it feels a little crazy. Does that make sense? It feels like a little bit make-believe. Like, this is, this is invisible stuff. This isn't real. But is it? But is it? And I feel like that the reason that drink dissolved that lady's gum was just so that we would all be reminded that it is real and that we have been talked out of believing in it. And we've been taught to rely on our intellect and our reasoning and our own opinions, like it says here in, in Proverbs 3, and our own understanding. We've learned to depend on that, and we've been talked out of judging things and thinking with God, discerning things in, a, in an operating another way. And it, and it feels, it, it, because it, it doesn't feel real. Because we're so accustomed to the physical realm, this is real. I can touch it. This is real. That, mm-mm. that's just that's an imaginary glass, you know. And so that same day that I was telling you about thinking man, Holy Spirit, and he's like, "What am I? Ask me what I'm thinking," you know. That same day, he also asked me. He said, "Well, why haven't you been drinking out of these cups?" Well, kind of, you know, because honestly, when I went home, it was like twilight zone. The cups were everywhere, and I was like, "Well." Frankly, I'm a little scared of the cups. I'm thinking I couldn't get up for two hours after drinking them and they dissolved the lady's gum. Like, I'm not sure I can function on drinking that. And he took me to a scripture, and I want to share this with you tonight, from Ephesians. And it's in Ephesians chapter 5. And when he took me to it, he, he actually took me to it in, in the Amplified Version because he wanted to bring out a, a point. And it says this. In the Amplified Version, it says, and do not get drunk with wine. Hold on, I want to do it in the, I'm in the wrong version. 
It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. And in this particular translation, what was highlighted to me that day was stimulated. Be stimulated with the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit said to me that day was, the reason I gave you these glasses, and it was just a symbolic thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, because that's what keeps you awake. In the same way coffee stimulates you, it's a stimulant to keep you awake. The Holy Spirit is a stimulant that keeps you awake. That's a word for you, Amy. Right? But a lot of us, we haven't learned how to, how do you, like, so how do you drink? How do, what, what, it's all so odd. We're talking about spiritual matter. We're talking about using our imaginary, you know, eyes or, and, and, and thinking with God. But these faculties are, are how we were designed originally to operate. And it really was only after we, after, you know, after Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we really became trapped in our intellect and we became trapped. We were blinded, right? Blinded by the God of this world and, and we became trapped in this physical existence and this human intellect and reasoning that we lost touch with how we really were originally created to operate. And so in Christ and through our union with Christ, we have this, this whole world that has opened up to us again. And now we are, we are, it's almost instead of learning, we're unlearning. <laughs> you know, we're unlearning how to live independent. We're unlearning how to think apart from him, how to see apart from him, how to hear apart from him, how to judge apart from him. We're unlearning these ways of independence, these ways of separation. And they, they infiltrate every area of our lives. And, and we don't even recognize the ways in which we've set ourselves up as God, that we've set ourselves up as in a role somehow. And we've taken on responsibility as a result of that independence. And, and God is calling us back into this place of dependency, this place where we're living like Jesus lived, where we are not judging apart from the Father, that we're, we're, we're abi- actually abiding in the vine. We're actually living in a place where we are uh, connected. And all, there's so many issues that go away so many, so many issues. I mean, uh, and and we're actually free to begin to love ourselves. We're actually free to be able to love our neighbor. Uh, we're actually free to begin to accept. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the way I would say it is, we're we're free to accept where everybody is in their own process of coming into agreement <laughs> with God. You know, I always say there's kind of like, there's two of, there's like, obviously there's the, the, the truth, there's the gospel, there's on this side, it's, it's all finished, we're in Christ, here we are over here, and then here we are kind of in our brokenness on this side. And our brokenness is as varied as we are as individuals. We've all experienced different things, we've gone through different things, we've 
believe different things about ourselves, about God, about the world, about money, about family, about marriage. I mean, you name it, right? Just because we've grown up. We didn't grow up understanding this. (laughs) We grew up believing we were separate from God, not understanding the gospel. You know, and geez, if you grew up in church, it's probably worse, right? And so there's the us that stands over here (laughs) that's in our experience, not this. We're not experiencing this, this, this. And so, you know, really we're all in process. We're all in process to awakening to the truth, to realizing what is true. And a lot of times what happens in the body of Christ is that we've either got, you know, a lot of ministries that focus over here on this, like, this is who you are. You're broken. You're a sinner. You're, you know, barely in relationship with God, only if you're good. You know, I mean, it's just this kind of a, a human identity that, you know, thinks of God separately. And then, of course, there's, you know, a, a bunch of people that really get that, yeah, including me, like we're faith, we're faith people, we're, you know, we're grace people, we're finished work people, we're encountering God people, practicing the presence of God people, we're all these, you know, these people over here. Um, but it's not one or the other. Because the truth is, like, the truth is we are, it is finished. The truth is we are in Christ. The truth is there is no separation. That is true. But in our experience, there is still brokenness. And we're all growing. We're all in a process with the Holy Spirit of integrating, of, of integrating and renewing our minds. And so that's why I say understanding this gives you permission. It gives you permission. Because the truth is you're not identifying. I mean, even though I'm in process, you're in process, our identity is finished. And it's really just a process of remembering there's no separation. It's remembering what Jesus has finished. And so whatever is going on in your life today, and whoever's listening on the podcast today, um, I want to just encourage you, in one sense... You, there's a obviously there's a problem that you want the wisdom of God for, and it's absolutely awesome that you can access God and get His opinion and get His thoughts and get His mind on that. But I feel that real freedom comes when you just release your agenda completely. I feel like real freedom comes when we we become like Jesus in in John five thirty that I read earlier where. You know, he just says, apart from me, I can do nothing. And he says, you know, I, I don't, I'm not after my own agenda. I, I'm following God's agenda. And I feel like when we just begin to release our agenda, and I'll tell you, that's not easy. I, I tell you, you don't even realize how many agendas we have and how, how much we look at external things to make us feel safe and to make us feel comfortable and loved and protected, right? How much we look at external circumstances and things in our lives as a, as a source of comfort, as a, you know what I'm saying? Is rather than looking, rather than the agenda, maybe, maybe God's agenda is getting you safe in the midst of that, make, making you realize you're safe in the midst of whatever circumstances. Maybe God's agenda is about you realizing that you're protected in any set of circumstances. 
But then not even assuming that that's the agenda. You just, you just really, you really are losing control. And as a, as a recovering control freak, I can tell you, <laughs> and I think we all are, honestly, I do. I think we're all recovering control freaks. And I don't think we recognize that we are, you know. And um, I think that's part of the problem, you know, is that, but I do believe that the more that we depend on God, it requires that. The more that we think with God, it is a relinquishing of control. And I'll say this. He's a, he, does, he does his job as God better than you and I could ever. He's a much better God than we could ever be. And so let me leave you with this tonight. Just, I think that if I could leave you with this, would be, it is a journey. You know, we're on a journey. And I don't think it's as as much about where we're headed. (laughs) Most of the time where we think we're headed is not where we're actually going to go anyway. So we can just kind of maybe even let go of that too. But I think the journey is way more about truthfully experiencing him and experiencing his mind and getting to know him. I mean, eternal life is to know him. And I, I think that on that journey, the more that we do know him and the more that we do experience him really from the inside out and get to know, um, get learn how to be dependent, I think, I think that's really when the Father can actually do the work. And I think when you get to the place in your journey where the Father really can do the work, I think that goodness knows what he's actually going to do. I think we have I think we have clues. I think we have uh, prophecies. We have pieces of puzzles. But I feel like it's not so much about that as it is enjoying the process. And I think the reason I think I am free to say that is because I've learned that God really enjoys it as well. I've learned that he's not a destination God. He's a get to know me God. And um, he looks at every day like an adventure. I mean, think about it. If you had no fear whatsoever, <laughs> you would look at life like a big adventure. Like no matter what came up, no matter what you faced, oh, it's just an adventure. You know, you're like Johnny Depp and the Pirates of movie, right? It's just, it's just an adventure. We're just on an adventure with God. I don't know why I thought of Johnny Depp, but he kind of seems like a... He seems like he's drunk all the time, I think. You don't think he has a care, but yeah. But maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But my, what is my point? I do think, I think it's, I think it, it real freedom is, I, I believe with all of my heart, is just letting God be the dad, letting God lead the way, and not having to worry our, our little heads about things that are too wonderful for us. That almost made me cry. 
that you just don't have, you know, like it's, I feel like God's saying, you don't have to worry your pretty little head. I mean, it may sound demeaning, but it's not demeaning. It's freedom. It's freedom to not have to have it all figured out and know how it's going to happen and where it's going to come from and if it's going to be on time and what they're going to think. And uh, you're, ah. you know, it's like, let's pick some flowers. Let's go look at some clouds. This is a gift today. Who are we going to encounter today? What are we going to, who are you going to represent who, me today to? It's just, a, it's just an adventure. And, and I remember I had this, I'll, say, I'll end with this one story. I don't know why this is coming up, but I always thought he was odd. I used to know this guy in Chicago, Prophet Jeffrey, we called him. I mean, that was his name, Jeffrey. And um, he was this prophetic worship guy that would just, he, he, I don't really understand how he did this, but he had a roof on his, he lived with his mom, and on the roof of the house, he had like this set up for like just prophetic worship. And really every day he would just get up, go up to the top of the roof and just worship, just worship prophetically, worship, worship prophetically, worship prophetically until God gave him something to do. And so sometimes he would just go on the L down the train over to somewhere on the you know west side of Chicago at a particular intersection. And there was a guy that apparently God told him named Ronnie. And he would wait for Ronnie. And then when Ronnie showed up, Sometimes, whatever, God would tell him to minister to Ronnie, give Ronnie money, pay, I don't know, whatever God's agenda was. I mean, some days he would just go to downtown Chicago and scream, I don't know, something, you know, in the corner of a a street. I mean, it was very odd to me. I remember thinking, I just couldn't figure him out. But I also, I, I knew, I knew there was something up with this guy. And, and I think the world doesn't know what to do with people like this because, I mean, the Bible's full of weird stuff, weird people doing weird things. But yet, you know, we run into these prophetic people in the real life. We don't know what to do with them. I didn't know what to do with them. But it's also, I mean, God used Jeffrey powerfully in my own life. I learned to honor this gift that was on him, even though he did not, I mean, you just wanted to tell him to go get a job. Your natural mind was like, you just living with your mom? I mean, you need to get a job. You know, but who am I? Who am really at the end of the day? Who am I? Who am I to tell anyone to go get? You know, who am I? Unless God's saying that. And so I just will leave you with that tonight and say, I truly think that we're being invited into a place of thinking with God that is so other level. It is just so other level, and I, I personally feel like I'm just starting to tap into it. So I don't. I guess I'm just at the place where, like, come with me. Come with me. And I've tasted it, and I've had experiences there. But it's still, it's just a barely a scratch. Just barely a scratch. And for those of you that are just struggling even with hearing God, I just, just step into the Lord. Just step into Christ. Step into that place where there is no separation. There is no you apart from him. And know that you are completely accepted, you're completely loved, you're completely, from his perspective, he couldn't love you anymore because he's loving you the same way he's loving himself inside of the Trinity. Amen? Amen.
Well, awesome. Well, Father, I just thank you for every person that's listening tonight, either here or via the podcast, Father. And I thank you that as I prayed before we started, Lord, I just, I'm going to wrap it up with the same thing, Lord. I just thank you that the Holy Spirit is capable of taking the words that I've spoken and making the message personal for every single person, Lord. So even as we end tonight, Lord, I pray that you would just bring to remembrance the point that was for them. The thing that you are reminding them of, the, the dialogue that you're wanting to continue with them about. And I ask you, Father, just to, to manifest this message in their lives, Father. Make it experiential, not just a word that they would hear, Father, but use it to further their journey into experiencing their union with you. And I just bless what you're doing in their lives, Father, and I I say yes and amen to it. And I thank you that you are absolutely going to finish the good work that you've begun in all of us. You're going to bring it to completion, and you're going to enjoy your work. I thank you that you are having fun teaching us who we really are. And so we just commit ourselves to you and say, keep being you. In Jesus' name.